Father, I know we've already prayed this, but I want to pray it again and just welcome you to come. Holy Spirit, ask that you come and make the Father's love real to each one of us, that you'd reveal Jesus to us, that um, what we see today would go beyond just hearing words, but it would be that you would transform our lives. So Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you. We ask that you come and speak to us, that you help us to be, uh, to have open hearts to you now. So Holy Spirit, come. We ask in Jesus' name. I hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the long, hot summer we've had. Do you know I heard someone complaining the other day, saying that it had, there wasn't much of a summer this year. I, I thought it was a good summer. I've enjoyed being outside and all that. And, you know, it's, it's a treat to have a break. And then in the middle of that, God has given us treats as well. But I've really missed being together. Um, and that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> Nothing personal, it's to do with meetings and all that kind of thing. Um, but I've really missed the, the connection that we've had, so it's great to be back together again. Um, I don't want to be a doom monger, but you know, it is September today and the evenings are closing in and it's going to get colder and all that kind of thing. The temperatures are going to drop and soon we will be lighting fires and we'll be switching on our central heating. And all summer long, our central heating system has been sitting there doing absolutely nothing, completely unused. It's ready for action, everything's in place, but the thermostat has not activated to turn it on. And all we have to do is just turn the thermostat and it would fire up, the boiler would come on, the house would begin to heat. And for us as followers of Jesus, God has put everything in place. Just as the radiators are there and the pipes are there and the boiler's there, in the same way, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, everything is in place for us to be able to experience the power of God. Everything is ready for us to be able to receive more of the Holy Spirit, more of the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does, things like making Jesus real to us, speaking to us, filling us with the Father's love, and so on, as well as pouring out his amazing gifts and so much more. For the next couple of months in these meetings, we're going to look at how to turn up the thermostat, because I think that's what God wants to do. How can you and I, in our daily lives, doing ordinary things, start to experience the extraordinary at a new level? All the things that God has already put in place. You know, they're there, they're waiting, and he said, got it all laid out for you, it's just a matter of entering in or turning up the thermostat. So we're going to look at a number of sections uh, in the Bible from the book of 1 Corinthians. We're not going to have time to look at the whole book, there is just so much in there. I could go on for years, but uh, we're just going to pick out a, a few passages and some really important ideas that, uh, for us to think about and put into practice. Two of the main themes that come in 1 Corinthians are unity and the power of God. So today we're going to talk about power to make a difference. But these two themes, unity and the power of God, work together 
just as different parts of the central heating system work together and you need it all, otherwise it doesn't work properly. In the same way, we need unity and the power of God. It's no good just having one or the other. Things won't work properly for us. So, <clears throat> the first heading is seek unity. Paul starts off by writing to the Corinthians and he tells them what a fantastic church they have. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says, God has enriched your church in every way. Thank you. With all your eloquent words and all your knowledge, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus. He will keep you strong to the end. What a wonderful thing to have God say about your church family. Now, some people suggest that Paul's being sarcastic and that he's actually saying, you guys are a bunch of losers, you don't know what you're talking about, your church is awful. I can't see that in the text. They also happen to be the same people who later on say the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. So I, I personally think they've got a problem with their, their biblical exegesis, but uh, uh, we can talk about more uh, another time. So Paul starts off, I think, by saying there are some fantastic things going for you, but then he quickly wants to address a problem that they're facing, and the problem is disunity. And he comes back to this again, again, in uh, chapters 3, 5, 6, 12, and 13, addressing it in various different ways. And Louis is going to pick that subject up uh, a bit later on this month. But in verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And then if you want to read the rest of the passage yourself, he goes on to talk about some of the different kinds of divisions that they're seeing. And uh, it sounds so petty, doesn't it, when you read those, that passage, if you've read it before. You know, some were saying, I follow Paul's teaching, and some were saying, I follow Peter's teaching, and, uh, and others were saying, I follow Apollos' teaching, and, and then somebody comes in really smarmy and says, well, I follow Jesus' teaching, you know, just to try and get one up on everybody else. Clearly, they've, they've got a problem. And instead of allowing the emphases the different emphasis of all these different teachers to bring blessing, they allowed it to bring disunity. Now this summer, a number of us have been at different conferences. I went to the European Leaders Alliance, and I know other people have been to New Wine, Soul Survivor, Focus, David's Tent, and so on. Let's enjoy the variety. Let's not fall into the trap the Corinthians had uh, where they allowed division to come instead of blessing. God gives us variety in nature. It's wonderful to see, isn't it? Uh, uh, I'd, I'd love it. Uh, but he also gives us variety in the church. He doesn't do one thing one place and something completely different. He gives us the natural things, speak of the supernatural things. God gives us variety in the church. And both in the natural realm and in the church arena, when we allow cross-fertilization, it brings incredible strength. Cross-pollination brings together two things that are quite different, possibly, 
with the result of something that is much stronger. So, for example, all our major sheep breeds in the UK are a result of that. So you take a highland breed and a lowland breed and you cross it and you get something that grows much faster, better meat conformation, um, you can stock them at a higher density, all those kinds of things that I'm sure you would love to know about on a Sunday morning. And it's the same with strawberries and raspberries and all the other yummy things that are starting to make my mouth water that we've enjoyed over the summer. Jesus himself emphasised the importance of unity. So for example, if you were to look in John 17, 21, which is going to come up on the screen, Jesus said, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Isn't that an incredible level of unity that God is wanting us to have? That you and I would have the same level of unity that the Trinity has. Because God is one. There are three persons, three aspects of who God is that are revealed through the Trinity, but God is one. And Jesus is saying here, I want you guys to be one in the same way that the Trinity is one, and also for us to be one with him in the same way. That's an incredible level of unity for us, in the same way that the Trinity does, for us to be able to uh, serve each other, to prefer each other, to believe the best about each other, to support each other, to work together, to have one focus, one aim within diversity. A great example of unity is how our bodies work. And it's not surprising that the the Bible talks about the church being like a body, and Paul uses that later on. If my mind is not communicating with the rest of my body, it could be that I'm moving towards dementia. If my legs don't work in unity, it would be very difficult for me to get anywhere. And yet so often churches behave like that. And Paul is saying, it doesn't work that way, does it? Now, I don't want to steal all of Louis's material from later on this month, so here is just one way that we can work together in a more effective way, and that is uh, through communication. Now, clearly, some people are better at communicating than others, and uh, some people are better at responding to communication than others. But one of the things that is clear as you look around is that, uh, as a general rule, Millennials find communication more of a challenge than other age groups. And for us to work together as a body of Christ and to work in, in unity, let's make sure that we communicate well. Not so long ago, people had a home phone number, a work phone number, and a home address. And that was it. And that was how you communicated. Now, on top of that, you add in mobiles, emails, text, WhatsApp, Signal, and a whole bevy of social media communication as well. So communication is a lot more complicated than it used to be. Uh, You may have a particular preference uh, to which one of those you you like to communicate with, and uh, you may even ignore some of the others or not actually even have signed up to them. We had one person in the church who would only communicate by Facebook Messenger. 
uh, wouldn't use email, wouldn't respond to phone calls, text, anything like that. Made it an absolute nightmare because you send out communication that everybody received and you thought, no, hang on, this person won't, won't have received this. And uh, it just made life difficult for us and actually they missed out on so much because uh, the emails were actually sitting there, they just never read them. So for us to be able to work well together we need to be able to put aside our personal preferences, that's true of communication, it's true of many other things as well. Uh, and just as I round this bit off, a plea from those of us who work uh, full-time or part-time for the church, please respond when we send you emails. It makes our life so much easier and I think it will enrich your lives as well. So. Uh, let's park that one and put it away. Unity builds a foundation that enables us to experience so much of the blessing of the power of God. Jesus said that no house that is divided against itself will be able to stand. And so we need to ruthlessly deal with anything that uh, challenges unity. Whenever we catch ourselves, whenever I catch myself starting to think negatively about somebody, whether they're in another church or in this church or anything, I have to deal with that ruthlessly because that comes from the devil. It doesn't come from God. So let's be alert to anything that brings division and instead let's seek unity. The second thing is expect to see the power of God. We live in a city where the intellect is worshipped to such an extent that it has virtually become a religion in its own right, intellectualism. And with that has come pride, arrogance, cynicism and a whole load of other traits that are really unpleasant. And instead of allowing our intellect, which is a God-given gift and we should uh, uh, do everything we can to think well, but instead of allowing our intellect to lead us to God, there are various isms that have set themselves up in place of God. And so uh, here are just an example of four philosophies that we face today in our society that are prevalent in our area and if we're not aware of them they can so easily start to shape us in, into a, a thinking or a behaviour that is not godly. So the first one is rationalism which denies that anything that can be proven, ra uh, proven rationally and so the supernatural is out of the window. Uh, the supernatural is seen as foolish unscientific, out of date, you know, that kind of thing. You've, you've probably had those discussions with people and read those kinds of uh, articles and books. The two-thirds world doesn't have this mental handicap that we have in the West. Uh, sometimes when we're out doing healing on the street, I've chatted to people who couldn't even begin to comprehend that God might be real and that God might be able to heal. Their belief system was so distorted, so closed, so shut off from any possibility that there might be God that they just could not, there was no place to be able to, to park that. Even if I came to them, or when I came to them and said, look, here's a photograph of a guy whose legs grew. Uh, he was born with one leg four and a half centimetres shorter than the other. As he was prayed for, God added bone into his leg and now his 
you know, the, he went to the doctor, the doctor verified that his legs had grown. They didn't believe it because they have no place in their, uh, their grid to be able to understand that. Their, their thinking has become so distorted. Relativism is the second one which says everything is relative, there are no moral absolutes, there is no absolute truth. And it therefore de uh, denies that sin or wrongdoing exists or needs to be dealt with. This is one of the strongest trends, isn't it, in our society at the moment. It leads to the point where anything goes and if it feels good, do it. The teachings of the Bible are seen as irrelevant and out of date. You may have seen in the media towards the end of this week uh, people complaining that children under the age of 12 uh, could well be taught in school about masturbation as part of the same-sex curriculum. And some people are denying and some people are saying it's going to happen and probably means that it will happen looking at how things are progressing. That's just an example of how relativism has taken hold. Individualism is another one. Uh, it takes on the, some of those uh, concepts above and it says that I stand on my own, I don't need help, what I do only affects me, it's just about me. It therefore again denies sin, it denies any moral responsibility. I can do anything that I like I don't need Jesus, I don't need him to help me, and it denies uh, everything the Bible teaches about uh, as being applicable to me. And then the last one is uh, hedonism. Living for the present, living for pleasure. The idea of the cross is repugnant because it's about sacrifice, sin, shame and surrender. You can't get two more opposing ideas. Each of these philosophies sets itself up against the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus and what the Bible teaches. And the world says that the cross and anything to do with biblical teaching is weak and foolish. So what does the Bible say? Well, funnily enough, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. The next verses in this passage go on to talk about how God takes what is foolish to shame the intelligent, what is weak to shame the strong, and that no amount of uh, clever thinking or human power can get us to God. We have to rely upon God doing it for us. Otherwise, we rely on ourselves, we become proud, we think it's all about us. The unity of relationship that we have with God and the power that God offers us are dependent upon us surrendering at the cross and from that place receiving the greater freedom than we could ever have imagined before, along with power to change, power to make a difference. But it's an upside-down kingdom. Freedom comes from surrender, wisdom appears foolish, power comes in weakness.
No wonder society believes that what we believe is nonsense. So how do we help them? How do we help ourselves? Well, one thing is very clear, that the Bible says that trying to argue people into relationship with God doesn't work. I don't know if you've tried that. Yes, we need to be skilled at answering questions, and there are many real questions that people have, valid questions that need to be answered as part of the process of people coming towards God. The average person in our country has much less understanding of the Bible and of who Jesus is, and so inevitably there are genuine questions that need to be answered. But you're not going to argue them into the kingdom. It is an experience of the power and reality of God that makes the difference, and that's what Paul says here. Don't try and use uh, all those other things. We have a secret weapon. It's the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. And what he's, he's using two particular words there that are uh, to do with a particular form of Greek rhetoric. So he's not saying, he's saying, I'm, I didn't use that kind of thing to try and persuade people and, you know, to build an argument. Verse 2, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to, in we came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. If you've ever tried to tell somebody about Jesus or come up and do a talk up here, you know what that feels like. Then he says, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. If somebody bases their faith in Jesus upon a clever argument, what happens when somebody who is cleverer and better at build, presenting an argument comes along? Well, at best, their faith is shaken and possibly uh, they would, their faith is destroyed because the argument is pulled down. You may have noticed there are lots of very clever people here in Oxford and it would be easy to find somebody who could run rings around you when it comes to debating and arguing. So clever arguments are not a good foundation for our faith. Instead, Paul says, we need to have an experience of the reality of God, of the power of God. And that is the foundation for our faith. Now that doesn't mean that doctrine and systematic theology and Bible teaching are not important. Nor does it mean that we can believe anything we like as long as we have good experiences. The teaching undergirds our experience of the reality of God. It strengthens the foundation and it helps us to build upon it. Rationalism has pushed the church, has shaped the church to a place where intellectual faith is devoid of the reality of the power of God. And wherefore, some churches, there is no power there. There are some good arguments and... Uh, but Paul says we, have, we need both. Okay, so it's not one or the other, we need both. Jesus was the word worker. 
He spoke the words of God and he did the works of God. And the two went hand in hand. And it didn't matter whether the teaching came first or whether a miracle came first. He always used one and then the other or both together or mixed them, to, mixed them around. But uh, we need both just as Jesus did that. If you've looked at the revival that happened under uh, John Wesley and others, you'll, you'll know that uh, at one stage John Wesley preached in a monotone voice so that he couldn't be accused of whipping up emotion. Now, thankfully, he ditched that later on. But even though he did that, people still experienced the power of God. Deep conviction of sin. People calling out in agony as they became aware of the reality of hell. Others uh, laughing as they were filled with forgiveness, peace and joy, and still others experiencing different forms of healing. Incredible experiences of the power and presence of God going hand in hand with the teaching of God's word as well. We need to cry out to God for the power to make a difference. And not just when we gather here together. I hope that as you prepare to come here on a Sunday, as you prepare during the week, as you pray for the person who's preaching and leading worship and the kids' teams and everybody else, I hope that you pray and that you're praying for the power of God to be released. But also in our everyday, ordinary situations to be confident that we are baptised in the Holy Spirit that the gifts of the Spirit are available to us just as much as they were in the first century and that God will use us. Confident that as God's trusted ambassadors we have all the resources of heaven at our disposal. The central heating system is in place. Let's turn up the thermostat. Before our connection groups start this term, we have a, a joint meeting and uh, it's a chance for all of us to be able to get together. It's on Thursday the 19th of September. Uh, we've called it Deeper because it's a time for us to go deeper with God, to worship passionately, to pray insightfully and to welcome the Holy Spirit to come and minister powerfully. Sounds like a good evening to me, I hope you think so. And uh, you're all very welcome. The details will be in the weekly email, which I'm sure you will all now read avidly. So what difference does the power of God make? It makes a difference in every situation and to everything. It gives us confidence in our faith uh, to be able to press in to receive more from God. Also to be able to reach out and uh, see other people coming to faith. Confidence to be able to invite them along. To be creative in our God-given gifts and in our imagination. God gave you your imagination because he wanted to use it. And he still wants to use it. And uh, we'll see what happens with this, but I think I got two new business ideas this week as we were out for a walk. So that's something to um, yeah, for my spare time. I think, did I, do I have any spare time? Um, so, uh, but God speaks to us and uh, 
you know, it may be our own desires, it may be God, it may be a distraction from the devil. We need to be close to Jesus so that we can work that out. We need to understand how God works. We need to be able to be sensitive to his voice. And then we need to have the boldness to be able to step out and try it. We need to have confidence that God has given us everything that we need to solve every problem our society is facing. Because there isn't a single problem out there or in here that God doesn't have the solution for. We just need to hear what he's saying. The revival that occurred under the ministry of John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield saved our country from uh, probably having a similar revolution to France and transformed the way society works. The first great awakening, as it was called, started in a, was dated from 1738, and then it rolled on, <clears throat> really, uh, into the second great awakening in the late, late 1700s and into the 1800s. And uh, it started when things were really looking bad. This is one person's quote on what society looked like before the revival started. Drunkenness was rampant. Gambling was so extensive that one historian described England as one vast casino. Newborns were exposed in the streets. 97% of the infant poor in workhouses died as children. Bear baiting and cockfighting were accepted sports, and tickets were sold to public executions as to the theatre. Bishop Barclay wrote that morality and religion in Britain had collapsed to a degree that was never known in any Christian country. Perhaps until today. Archbishop Davidson wrote that Wesley practically changed the outlook and even the character of the English nation. And it came about by the power of God. It transformed society from something that was very, very dark. We need to experience again the power of God because we need to see people saved, we need to see our society changed. When we look around our society and if we're honest at the weakness of our faith, we need more of the power of God. We need to strengthen our faith by experiencing the power of God afresh, to deepen our faith by studying the Bible daily so that we have <clears throat> unity with the Holy Spirit and unity with each other. Unity releases blessing and God is determined to bless his people. He's just looking for people who are willing to be blessed. Then we'll be able to reach out to our friends and neighbours with a faith that is real, visible and unstoppable. Revival is coming. Do you want to be a part of it? Yes. Good. That's a good start. I'll take that number. Uh, it's not going to look the same as it has done before. It may look completely different to the revival under Wesley and Whitfield or the, uh, uh, the one in Wales and the one up in the Hebrides as well. You know, each one has different aspects, but it seems that there are things that are always the same and certainly unity and prayer and worship and the power of God are always in there. And God does it differently because he wants us to rely upon him. 
and not upon some preset formula that we, that we can just roll out. God is already moving. Uh, a number of us have experienced that at the different conferences and things uh, that we went to that have been great fun over the summer. God is already moving and he's going to move in greater power. And I believe that our society will one day, uh, will soon be changed once again. I've got so much more I want to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to stop there. Save it up for another day. I love talking about what God has done and what he's going to do. And uh, I've noticed, I noticed a difference as, uh, just towards the end of last term as I prayed for people. And again, as we were praying in the prayer room, we moved from intercession into ministry and God was there. Uh, and it was fun. So, why don't you stand?